positive feedback loop. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Feeling it. I just want to ride it. Let's go. I know we're riding it. This is how it's done. You start. You start talking. So you're talking about barbarians, right? And I was <laughs> thinking about utopia. And at what point did the barbarians consider that they wanted to live in any sort of utopia? Well, hold on. Were the who, barbarians... are, who are the barbarians? I mean, you're talking about it like you're, a... you're bringing up such a different topic. It's not a different no, topic. It's just. No, you were talking about the Romans, Luis. You spoke uh-huh. about the Romans. Yeah, the Romans were total barbarians. <laughs> that envisioned many different types of societies and civili- and, and uh, communities and gatherings and economics. They might have not understood everything that they were doing, and uh, we still don't understand what we are the things that we are doing nowadays. But who was at a closer utopia? Is, is a utopia relative to its... Um, conception of thought as an idea. Is it relative to itself as an idea? What do you mean by that? I'm very confused. So answer the previous questions and we'll get to that point later on. What what were the previous questions? (laughs) The, The first question I'd like you to answer is do you think the Romans had conversations about a potential utopia for their life that they would like to live in? I mean, they tried to create one. I mean, everyone's always wanted... Okay, okay, I think we're a little misguided here because the very idea of utopia is one of the oldest things ever, right? Even though we don't have, we haven't had a word for it until relatively recently, think about every religion. Every religion basically has a utopia built into them, and that's the whole point. You build a... Well, not every religion, but most of them. They have some sort of afterlife where everything's wonderful and everyone's well-treated and it feels perfect and part of a whole and all your needs are met. Because maybe you don't even have needs. Those are utopias. I mean, there's kind of... I I agree, it can be religion-based. I mean, in the Mormon faith, that's the background I guess I bring to the conversation. But Mormons talk a lot about a utopia we can create on the earth where we're, we're really trying to create the civilization that is the most beneficial for everyone and, and everyone is taken care of. And then there's the utopia that, that you achieve in heaven. And the Mormons call this the celestial kingdom, kind of this godly life, a life with God, a life free of pain. So Peter Drucker, who is a famous businessman, he talks a lot about efficiency. And in the MBA, we talked about him in our operations type classes. Anyway, he is actually known as saying that Mormons are the only utopia that ever worked. And there's an author of this article, Mark W. Cannon, who said he actually approached Drucker saying, I'm writing this article, and can I quote you? And he asked Drucker, can I have permission to say Mormons are the only utopia that worked? And he left out the word ever because he thought, you know, I don't want to have strong language about that uh, about the Mormons being in a utopia. But Drucker actually replied and put that word ever back in. Mormons are the only utopia that ever worked. And he talks about the Mormon religion as taking care of all of its members. There are no poor among them. So any member that is 
poor is taken care of. They have humanitarian efforts all over the world. They have this system where everybody has somebody else taking care of them. They achieve as close to an utopia as they can. We are getting deep today. Welcome to the PFL Podcast. This is your co-host, Ray, here with Stephanie and Luis. Hi, everyone. Hello. And as you guys know, we are a podcast that talks about a variety of things, including culture, society, technology, where are we going in the future. Uh, and we often find disagreements with each other, and we like to have a little fun. So welcome to the show. Uh, we are so happy to have you listening again. So Utopia, Peter Drucker, that's interesting, Stephanie. I didn't know he said that. That's a really powerful statement, I think. And I wonder, in, in Peter Drucker's Utopia, in this um, potentially, or at least the Mormon utopia, who is in charge? Who's in charge in the, of well, this which? utopia? In Peter Drucker's utopia or the Mormon utopia? <laughs> I, guess, I guess when he is saying that, what is he referring to? Like, Why is he uh, referencing the Mormon culture and society to be utopian? What, yeah. what is giving that evidence? You know, there's a quote that Peter Drucker shared Back in the day, he said, there is nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. In my opinion, what he's getting at is you can be, you can have the greatest operations mindset in the world, do everything efficiently, every uh, resources used efficiently. And yet, if you don't have your priorities straight, you're wasting that and making life more difficult for yourself. In the Mormon faith, I mean, Mormons are super efficient in their organization. There are religions out there where people get paid to lead the church. In the Mormon church, leadership is not paid. The prophet or president of the entire global Mormon church is not paid to do what he does. Neither are the 12 apostles, neither are bishops of congregations around the world. The musicians are not paid. The primary teachers are not paid. It's all totally lay clergy. And yet, they're very efficient with what they do, but it's also all done with a spirit of altruism. And so children are taken care of and taught. Uh, people's physical needs are taken care of. The women's mm. organization, it's the oldest women's organization in the world, is the Relief Society. And it's millions of women, and I'm a member of the Relief Society. Uh, and it provides relief. So in its name, it's really a compassion, compassionate service to the world. So uh, a utopia is really, in my mind, based on my faith, a community of people who all watch out for each other. It's like a large family of sorts. And I kind of experience that when I travel and I find out someone in the airport is Mormon, it's like we're immediate siblings. Uh, so utopia mm. for me is almost like uh, a feeling of family, which I don't think is really written into utopia. When Thomas More talked about utopia, he talked about the economic and social aspects of utopia, uh, and there are some overlaps there with with a sense of uh, where the family union is, where the family unit belongs. But anyway, wow, well, I didn't know much of that, and I think that's fascinating. And I think I actually agree, like I totally agree with the concept of community. And looking out for each other as a utopian um, uh, society, that's how it would function. But to me, I just feel like a religion in general, any religion, whatever it is, I don't know. 
I don't know if... I, I think, Ray, what you're trying to get at is more about if, yeah. if the religion's followers on Earth currently could be considered part of a utopia simply because they're part of modern society. Mm-hmm. And modern society itself is difficult to consider utopic. Well, what I'm saying is, but yeah. let's say let's say that the everyone is a Mormon. Does that create a different form of modern society? You know, and in that case, it kind of makes sense in a if you take it down to a very biological level. Um, would that be a advent advantageous organism or disadvantageous organism in relation in relation to all the external species that it is surrounded by. Well, I, I, I want to caution something here, Ray, and that's the fact that let's say your utopia requires everyone to follow a certain belief system. If you are an individualist and you believe that people should be able to fo- believe whatever they want to believe, right. then that's not a utopia, at least not for you. And that's, that's I think, where uh, when we talked originally about talking addressing this topic, the reason why we wanted to talk about it is because I've been doing a lot of reading recently about um, futuristic things, right? Looking into AI in the future and things like that. And one of the things that I've been coming up is how do we want to arrange ourselves in a future where we have advanced technology that is able to be, we have consciousness that are far more intelligent than humans can possibly be in the form of advanced AI what does that mean for society? And this gets us into thinking about what does the perfect world look like to us and so that we can start thinking about what steps can we take to get there? Because when we look at movies, TV, and whatever, most media presents dystopias because those are easy. It's easy to look at a, at a quote-unquote utopia, say uh, any fantasy world, any sci-fi world, and look at the seedy underbelly of that world. There's something inherently wrong with it. And it's the, the heroes who are fighting to bring that bring down the tyrannical government who's presented uh, a shadow of a utopia. The idea of utopia masking uh, awfulness, you know, uh, indoctrination, in masking uh, tyrannical practices, the destruction of free will, all these other things. And that's the idea that we generally see in modern culture. And we don't really talk about what do we actually want the world to look like in a perfect world 100 years from now, 50 years from now, 1,000 years from now. Who knows how long you want it to be? And so we want to talk about it from that perspective. I don't think currently I would argue there's any utopic societies in the world. At least I don't – I haven't found any that in my research. If anyone has a different one – has found one, please tell me so I can move there. Um, <laughs> well, I think Thomas More imagined his utopias on an island. So apparently, if you want an utopia, it has to be on an island. <laughs> it can't be. So if we get can't all be the on Mormons the mainland. Put them on an island. <laughs> For the two of you, what are the top characteristics of what you would define as a utopia, personally? Personally, I mean, I don't know if utopia is something that can immediately be defined for me it's very relative if you talk about if you want to get into the, the details of what it is for example i can see the universe that we are currently living in the, the world that we have the 
structure and systems that are in place in our everyday lives. Yeah, give that to someone that was born 4,000 years ago. We are living in a utopia, you know what I mean, for them, relatively. Um, but, however, there are some things that the person born 4,000 years ago and us, something that we do share, something that we do have in common, which is the lack of definitive understanding of ourselves before and after our lives. So you mean we have a, we have an abstract and theoretical understanding in that we may accept, but do we we do live in this time domain that restricts us to certain ways of thinking, and that way of thinking is a pretty much linear progression from the past to the future, uh, usually at a second per second. You know what I mean? Um, so we, we share that with the person born 4,000 years ago. So we actually can come up with an example, I think, today on the show of a utopia that would be correctly defined by us and by the man born 4,000 years ago. So um, I'm going to hand it off to Luis and see what he thinks about what his view is on a utopia wait 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 i am i'm slightly puzzled because i am not sure exactly what you're referring to i if you are saying that we have a similar understanding of time as someone from four thousand years ago possibly not I, some understanding i think we have a more advanced understanding of time what i'm saying is we have a similar experience of time in in the general sense of you know. Like days, months, years passing, that kind of a... Well, they didn't have those concepts of like months or years 4,000 years ago. More like... Well, the sun like, rising uh, and setting, I guess. I mean, that's... Yeah, I guess it's just like a thing happens now and it happens later. And those are I mean, the like the macro, at the macro level. At your, well, I guess at the individual time, lifespan level of time, how, how we perceive it. Because well, I think that at the may end, not be the same, though, because back, people lived very differently i mean in the middle ages they didn't live very long a few decades but then you have the records of the bible it said people lived a thousand years so i think the time the experience of time in a lifetime is very different what i'm saying is there is a beginning of which we don't know really how that happened before like in terms of how did our consciousness come about in such a way that makes us a unique individual that's still undefined and we're still trying to figure out that and and after so we still don't know what our so you're asking two big questions we, I, I can argue there is a sort of connection with each human being at some level at some in some way so ray if i might summarize what i think you're saying is that yeah. if there's something we have in common about with someone four thousand years ago is that there are two things we still do not understand and that that hasn't changed one is the question of consciousness what makes consciousness? And that's a huge question, and it's going to take a while before we figure that out. And it's we need to figure that out before we have truly intelligent AI, because then we won't be able to know if it's, if it's actually truly intelligent and conscious if we don't have the answer to that question. And two is the question of what happens when we die. And people have tried to answer that question for a long time, and they think they have answers, and that's called religion. And a lot of people think they have their own version of it, and people don't. And there's a lot of disagreement on it. So I can 
I think I see where you're going with that. Is that kind of a fair assessment yeah, of what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's a good interpretation. I, I think okay. that's, that makes sense. And so for you, Utopia, would that be... The things that have changed from the person 4,000 years ago is the things that they do during the day. Like, what do people do in society? Like, now we have a society where we work and we go to school and we grow up and whatever. Um, and some people like to make art. Some people like to make music. Some people farm. Some people do things on the computer. We're very much currently a computer-based working society right now. But in the future, is that the case? Are we really going to be sitting down putting our intelligence into, you know, concrete things. Are we going to be doing that while sitting at a chair? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to be more interactive with our environment. So I, I think this is where I find issue with your previous statement, that to a person in the past, today is a utopia. Because I think what you're describing is a world where while the complexity of what we do has certainly increased, the fundamental nature of it hasn't really changed. The fundamental nature of what a human is and does is still the same. Humans still learn, they adapt, they grow, and right. they work. Right, but the things that we imagine as good in order to qualify for a utopia are many times things that are limited if we don't have the technology to do it. Like communication 4,000 years ago would be so hard and frustrating. Like literally, if someone leaves your site, you don't know how to get in touch with them ever again. But what right? you're saying is that that, that is a value they should have. So you're taking no, that a is personal a value, value that, that you have and you are ascribing it to a person and saying that person's, I am experiencing that person's utopia. But we even know today that a utopia for one person to another living in the exact same year at the exact same age and gender and race and ideology could still have different utopias in mind because a utopia is by definition an ideology and ideologies are so diverse. And I, I want to, so I want to bring this back around to the same, to the bottom line question, which is right. What you've just, if we look back at the past, you can look at religion for a good idea of what people's utopias look like. If you look at heaven from all the Judeo-Christian traditions, or you look at all the uh, different worlds that many different religions have fashioned and imagined during their time, those, in a sense, oftentimes involve some form of utopia, and people will strive to reach those destinations upon death or whatever. So the question is, what is your utopia, Ray? What do you want to see in the future? Whether that's down the soon or like, far into the future. I can, give you, I can give you many kinds of answers. It depends how far into the future you want to go. Do you want to have... Um, you I know. want to see... I want to hear what you want to see the world be well, as I far think, into the future as you need for okay. true utopia. What your okay. perfect utopia is. I don't. It doesn't have to be doable in your lifetime. It doesn't have to be doable in your kids' lifetimes. So basic utopia is... A moment in time where all of consciousness can integrate and become this one, like, like shining, absolute energy. And everyone can literally just, I don't even know if I should be using the word everyone, because I don't know if it will be like individual bodies. It'll just be some sort of state of 
presentness. Just the only thing that we can feel is the time right now. Like literally, we cannot, you know, even like sense the past future kind of thing. It's just always living in the present without. So I'm talking at a time where literally we're not humans, probably. So Ray, if I could kind of summarize what I think you're getting at is uh, what I imagine your utopia is matryoshka brain. A matryoshka brain is basically a gigantic structure. It's basically of an offshoot of a Dyson sphere, which is supposed to be this floating base that surrounds a sun and absorbs all its energy to create a giant supercomputer. And humans would then have their minds uploaded to it, and all humans would live in a AI, in a virtual reality setting where all our minds would just live there for eternity. That's the idea behind the Matryoshka brain. So we would cease to have physical bodies at that point, and we would be just constructs. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I guess. But now I'm like reconsidering. I don't think that would be my... I feel like... I think it's hard to understand what I would do, <laughs> you know, or why I'm doing anything at all. I feel well, like you would, your concept out, of what you would I, want and wouldn't want or would be different, right? Because you would live in a world that would be of your own choosing. You would make your world. Because you live work. in a virtual reality world that would be a perfect facsimile of a real world or whatever you wanted it to be. The laws of physics, you could make your own. Right, but isn't like the part of the joy of life, the uncertainty that is around us? So I, that's, that's exactly why I find this such an interesting topic. And I think this is where I've struggled to come up with my own definition of utopia. And I've stumbled and I do not have an answer. And it is so difficult because I have bits of utopia. I have bits that I can put together. What's your utopia? Well, here, here's the thing. The central question for me is one of, do I want a static or a dynamic world. As a person who lives in a world where change, I, where I find change to be something important and something that gives life challenge and meaning, a world that is static feels off-putting to me. A world where everything is perfect and that perfection is stable. But that stability is what makes a utopia, right? If your utopia can change, it could possibly stop being a utopia. If you make a perfect world and it stops being a perfect world from today to tomorrow, even if it's a slow process, is that still your utopia? So then the question is, would I want a world that is always the same? And I don't. That's all. And the underlying thing of it is I would rather accept the risk of it changing and becoming something I don't want. But I, that, that kind of clashes with every other thought I have. And I am having such a difficult time coming to an answer I can be personally satisfied with. Because when I think of a future where humans have a utopic society, I think of a world where most work is done by AI in some form, right? Humans don't have to labor unless they, have, they want to. It's a world of choice. A world where you choose to do what you want to do. You don't have to do it. But you choose to do it if you want to. If you want to toil, you can. If you want to create, you can. If you want to leisure, you can. But for such a world to exist, certain prerequisites need to come into place. And 
for those to exist, you need to accept some level of risk specifically from the side of the AI. And there are there are questions that I cannot answer to myself yet and give a satisfactory answer to the audience. I have a follow-up question. You know, you mentioned that the utopia has some relationship to perfection. Mike, it's like a series of questions, a series of thoughts that come up because you, you bring up so many interesting thoughts. One is, is a utopia a perfect society? Is, is, are those two the same thing? The second is, can a utopia ever be perfect if the people living in it will never be perfect? There are no, there's no such thing as a perfect human being. So are we really just saying that the surrounds, the context, the environment that they're in, the AI, the technology, the control over the weather, whatever it may be, is that perfect, but yet we still hurt each other and break each other's hearts and are unable to keep all of our promises. How does that, how does mere mortality fit into a utopia? Is that why utopia isn't achievable? And then my final like thought that kind of goes into the whole thought of perfection, is perfection really static? I think of the expanding universe. And I also think of how, at least in my faith tradition, uh, I do believe that we reach for godhood, that we want to achieve it. We want to achieve perfection. But in achieving godhood, technically, we would have then creations. We would be able to create planets or whatever it is beneath us. And that would, in, in turn, expand that which we are doing. And therefore, perfection itself is a constant expansion and therefore it's not static it's expanding and therefore you're always doing new things so how does perfection then all those questions i have about perfection really relate to utopia so i'm going to answer these questions one one by one in the order i think makes the most sense to me <laughs> okay. one i would say that mortality is one of those things that is a very human concept and that in a world far removed from the present, may no longer fit into a worldview. And what do I mean by that? Let's talk about the fact that, are you really mortal? I mean, and, and, and yeah, everything ends. Everything ends. The universe will eventually end, at least given our current understanding of physics and the most advanced theories we currently have. The money is, from the physicists, is currently on the, on the side of, you know, either heat death of the universe or any of a number of catastrophes that, well, not catastrophes, but like slow deaths that will end with everything. So no utopia would last for eternity outside of religious ones. So I understand that none of this would be forever, forever, but within the lifespan of the vast majority of people who would experience it, they would last for their lifespan at least. Then comes the question of mortality. Mortality is one of those things where, let's say there's several ways to get around it. One, if you as a person have uploaded your mind to a machine, which can last much, much longer than the lifespan of a human, you were essentially biologically immortal because you are not bound by biological laws. And a machine can be reproduced and fixed and have their lifespan extended ad infinitum as long as, you know, no one with malice comes and destroys it. And even then, you can have backups. Like, those are things that are feasible. Secondarily, even biological mortality is one of those things that we're looking at right now. Yes, you can't really stop someone from shooting you in the brain, 
But aging is something that we're working to reverse. So given the fact that this is stuff that we're talking about now and we're addressing now and with like a real serious uh, effort, which 200 years ago was unfathomable to us. No one 200 years ago could say, hey, we're going to fix aging. That's a thing we're working on. Because if they did, they're crazy. But now it's a serious commitment that scientists are making. And we could see that within the next few lifetimes. It may not come around when I'm doing my life cycle. But maybe my grandkids will have it. Maybe they'll be biologically immortal. As in, they won't die from old age. Which is really just degeneration of your of your systems. So then that brings the question, okay, well, let's say you kind of combine A and B. You combine biological immortality with technological immortality and you can have cyborg humans right you can have something in between you can have the body being augmented by some sort of electronic mind there are so many different possibilities for getting around the question of mortality at least in the short term whether it's from nanites in the bloodstream or who knows what crazy future science we're talking about and again this all sounds off the walls crazy, and I recognize that. But the whole point of this exercise is seeing a world we would want in the future, not seeing a world that's necessarily feasible now. And to do that, to seeing what we want so we can work towards it, we need to be able to understand that, hey, maybe probably most of this won't come to be, to be but we'd want to see it so that we can work towards it. And that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. As to whether Utopia is truly perfect, no. There's got to be challenges to it. And there's got to be things that we're going to have to give, be willing to give up. And that's where the question of Utopia comes in. Because if you can f imagine what it is that you want, you can also imagine what it is that you're willing to give up to get there. Right? So that comes in the question of individuality. Right? Let's say that in your mind, the perfect world requires everyone to be perfect all of the time and no one can be out of line ever, right? That's your perfect world. Well, let's talk about how to get there. Given our current understanding of humanity and the technology we have available to us, that the best way to get to that place, if that's what you want, may just be a tyrannical government. Are you willing to accept that? So those are, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. And I don't have good answers yet. And that's, I, I want this to be an exercise for the listener to really start thinking about these things because we're coming up in a world where maybe you won't face it, but your grandkids might. And you want to start having these conversations now so that when your grandkids face these challenges, they can actually be prepared for it. Yeah, you make an interesting point how you said you know, do we want a tyrannical society? Because now I'm thinking about the societies and nations that exist on our planet today and their form of governance. If, you know, just thinking about China, for example. Now, I don't know, like, I'm not an expert in Chinese governance, but what I do know is that they are they're pursuing a communist um, society. And it works for them now because it's it seems scalable uh, I, I'd, be, I'd be wary of saying what works and what doesn't work in the present world without having a lot of information you're absolutely right and you know what I take I take that back although you know I already said it <laughs> point is <laughs> it's okay it's out there we all yeah. know you want to move to China and uh, join the Communist Party it's okay 
No, no, my point is that it, is it actually sustainable? I don't think that we are made to live in that way. I don't think that uh, form is necessarily going to work in the long term because we are ignoring the fact that we still have these human traits that we can't just shake off. So maybe that can work. Well, I mean, what you're saying is that in your ideology and the way you view the world, you don't see something as possible. And it may be informed by your experiences, what you know about people and government you have experiences with and you've seen things fail you know with other people they see it as probably the most possible success maybe in their experiences they think this this must be the only way to do it because they look at american culture for example and they see the upheaval of our political structure and may think well that's not working some utopias are misnomers or some i guess societal structures i'll say are misnomers i think in for example there are Communism, for example, is interesting because it's seen as, as people being equal, that there's, there's some sort of equality there. But there's an oligarchy or an oligarchical structure of somewhat that's necessary to actually make that happen. There has to be someone at the top with more power making decisions to carry forth a communist government structure, I guess, or a society. Uh, and the same goes for, you know, the misnomers we experience in American society and government. We tend to think of ourselves as a democracy when we're not. We're a republic. And so when we really have a true sense of the actual structures in which we live, we can learn how to perfect them rather than reaching for something we're not and experiencing that friction. That's true. Very interesting. And uh, with that, I think we're going to, Cut it to commercial. Piffles, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. Thank you. Can you imagine a world where cats and dogs get along? Utopios can. Can you imagine a world where the Israeli-Palestinian conflict was resolved long ago? Utopios can. Can you imagine a world get along with your mother-in-law. Utopios can. If you can imagine a world where traffic is never an issue, then try Utopios, a Kellogg's company. Welcome back, my lovely piffles. We were talking about Utopia, and most previously, we were talking about how to form a utopian society and what that means to each of us. On that note, we, we kind of discussed in the first part what it means to us to be living in a utopian society. What does it mean to the rest of the world? How does pop culture actually, you know, display itself, display utopia in various films, movies, TV shows, literature? There's lots of examples of dystopia in movies. Isn't that right? We have every movie where there's an AI intelligence coming in and basically trying to take over the humans. It doesn't sound like a utopia. It sounds like a really difficult place to live. Well, uh, Ray, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I, I've in all the time I have watched TV and movies and read books, and I have watched a fair amount of TV and movies. Have you read some TV? books? Do you, do you watch TV? Oh, uh, a fair amount. Okay. I, I would say that 
<laughs> there are very few cases where I can find actual utopias in entertainment because it's a very difficult thing to present a compelling, perfect world. Because there's two things, right? If you want a world, like the, the whole basis for most of all entertainment is drama, right? If you want conflict in a perfect world, you wouldn't have conflict. So how do you make a show around it? And so the most common scenario, the most uh, obvious one, the most well-known case of a utopia that I found in pop culture is Star Trek. I'm not a Trekkie. I have seen a couple episodes of Star Trek when I've, like, just randomly. I haven't really seen a lot. But the whole point of Star Trek, it's a world where humanity has put aside all our problems. We have futuristic technology. We have, we are a, we're a post-scarcity society, so we don't really have needs anymore, right? You have 3D printers that basically make anything you possibly want out of energy, so if you want a food, you just ask for the food and it's made for you. You don't have any more of those needs. And so what humanity does now is explore the universe. That's how we find our next challenge. And that we were talking about this before, right? How do we keep how do we keep that human drive there? And it's that exploration. That's encountering new species, guiding them along or at least observing them because we're not they're not supposed to interfere. And that's where the drama comes in, right? The drama comes in because, you know, interrelations with other species may not always be perfect, and that creates conflict, and that's where the entertaining stuff happens. Otherwise, the most other pop culture that I've seen tends to focus on the bad sides of utopias, thus making them no longer utopias. So I don't I don't know. If I agree with you, why is Star Trek considered to be utopia? I get what you're saying in the fact that humans are able to, you know, explore without worrying about the stuff that we worry about. But I've seen episodes of Star Trek, and I think that it's not really that, you you know, people die in Star Trek. Do you think that's part of a utopian world? Actually, do they die? I, I thought they died. People get shot. That's why they had ray guns and things. They, they do die, yes. But mostly, but for the most part, the society of Star Trek is not one where humans are murdering it themselves. It's more conflicts with other species can cause human casualties. And that's, you can hardly blame a utopian society for an external factor, right? Like if, I, if you live in a perfect world and someone else comes along from another world and shoots you, that's not the fault of the utopian society. Like, it's not no longer a utopian society. It's someone else came along and shot you. That's not to say that it's a perfect world, because there are challenges within the, the Star Trek universe. There is scheming within the Federation and political things that happen in the background, because, you know, they have to make the show entertaining somehow. But on the whole, the vast majority of humanity that's not seen in the show is supposedly living in an idyllic world where all their needs are taken care of and the, th- the the next destination for humanity is space. And the show basically is geared towards the edges of that society. So a very tiny percentage of people who are the fed- at the edge of the Federation. And it seems, yeah, that the utopia isn't every single being in the whole show. It's that there is a utopia that a set of beings has created in the show in star trek there's 
this absence of the need to find food. There's no real economy. It's not like they have to make money. Are they spending money to upgrade their ship? You know, it's like these needs are not there. And there's this quote by Picard saying, people are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We've eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy, end quote. So there's kind of this idyllic world that start in the Star Trek world, the utopia is based on an economic quality, but not necessarily the lack of conflict. Yes. And I think that's kind of where uh, one of the interesting things about the concept of utopia, and we kind of touched on this earlier, is how do we organize ourselves in a world that is drastically different? Because we look at today and we try to apply today's problems and solutions to a world where those problems are no longer there and they're vastly different, right? This is a question, the question of utopia is one to prepare us for in let's say 200 years, just throwing a number out, right? Let's say in 200 years, we have technology that humans no longer need to work. So what do they do instead? Hold on, Luis, this is something that has been discussed before and it will continue to be discussed because earlier in the episode you also talked about what would happen uh, when AI is able to let people not work, right? But it's already done that in many ways. No, you actually said when we're going to be able to make decisions and have the ability to choose what we want to do, a choice society, we kind of have that if you compare it to like 30 years ago. And 30 years, 60 years ago, before that was better than like the 80s. And I think that we have developed more choices. I can literally go and communicate with any human I want to in the world. It gives me a lot of choices. I can uh, pursue a you know life path that I want to because I'm able to, because the technologies that are existing in my day-to-day life allow me to do that. Well, and as a woman, I have a lot more choice than the women who preceded me in in past generations. The fact that I can choose to have basically any career I want. That said, I think that we've always had a lot of choice. I believe that we've always had moral agency, choice, choosing for ourselves what, what we will do and how we will behave, what we will think and believe. So that has never been taken from humanity yet. I, I, I want to make a differentiation here because I, I'm not saying that there hasn't been progress towards allowing people to have more choices. But what I'm saying here is an inherent change in how society works. It does because it, it's not to the degree that we're seeing coming down the pipeline, Ray. Because I, we are seeing we're seeing a world where wages are stagnating. For a reason, right? They're, they're, apart from all of the many different economic factors, one of the biggest ones is automation. And this is a thing that we've briefly touched upon on the web in the podcast, not to nearly the degree that we need to talk about. But imagine a world where that's taken to its logical extreme, right? Humans no longer are needed to do anything. Now, what do they do? What is the economy like when a human is no longer needed and cannot compete with a super intelligent AI? 
a we, world where no profession there are lots is necessary of, for a human. There are lots of people that in the world currently that don't need to do anything right now. Yes, but they still need to feed themselves, and they still need to do something to obtain currency so that they can obtain goods so that they can maintain a, a lifestyle that allows them to survive. What happens when that is no longer feasible because anyone will say, why would you work? A machine can do it better for literally all of people. That is the question that we're dealing with here. Because at least that one of the questions that I'm trying to answer, because maybe that's not going to happen in my lifetime, although it's likely that a portion of that's going to happen. What do you do when a huge chunk of society, if not all of it, is unemployable? Because a machine can do it better. But and I'm not talking a robot. I'm talking an intelligence. So what's the most difficult task for a machine to do that a human can do? Right now, it's, put, it's just putting together a whole bunch of different tasks at the same time. Maybe. How about understanding the intricacies and the craziness of human beings? So yeah. here's Management. here's the here's here's one of the things that I'm kind of I, I want to leave this on, and it's the fact that you use the word, and this is a key word here, and it's understanding, and this brings us back to the problem of consciousness, and this is one of the most difficult questions that humans have ever had to answer. What is consciousness? What is it that makes us us? Is it still there when we're asleep? What is a break in consciousness and what will that mean when a machine has it? How will we know? You know how we'll know? I think we're going to take this one to a part two. Thank you, Piffles, for listening to the positive feedback loop. We're going to have to do a part two on this Utopia episode. We have answered some of the questions, but not satisfactorily enough to the point where we're happy. So we want to continue the conversation and let us know what your utopia is. We want to know. We legitimately are interested in knowing. And heck, if you give us answers, maybe we'll talk about them on the podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter. We're on SoundCloud. We got, we got lots of um, social network connections. So please uh, listen to us. Subscribe. We really, really appreciate it. And as always, stay crazy. crazy.